dead and four others suffered serious injuries. Clemence has an extensive violent criminal's history in the state of... Regretfully announces it will no longer accept female cadavers. Time, weather, and... The afternoon of carnage ended with one of the suspects later identified as... Speculate that the present crisis might be caused by some substance, perhaps at the viral or enzymatic level. We are to send them to the cemetery. We've never had any problems, really. Voted by female corpses. This incredible number of people is rising significantly. Governments need to act quickly. Pacific coasts and as far away as Japan indicate a growing hazard. Sometimes it takes tragedy to bring out the Paris. If there was a confrontation, it will. The Screwfly. Solution. The young man sitting at two degrees north, 75 degrees west, sent a casually venomous glance up at the non-functional shoe fly ventilator and went on reading his letter. He was sweating heavily, stripped to his shorts in the hot box of what passed for a hotel room in Koyapan. How do other wives do it? I stay busy, busy with the Ann Arbor Grant Review programs and the seminar saying brightly, Oh yes, Alan is in Columbia. Setting up a biological pest control program, isn't it wonderful? But inside, I imagine you surrounded by 19-year-old raven-haired cooing beauties, every one panting with social dedication and filthy rich and 40 inches of bosom busting out of her delicate lingerie. I even figured it in centimeters. That's 101.6 centimeters of busting. Oh, darling, darling, do what you want, only come home safe. Alan grinned fondly, briefly imagining the only body he longed for, his girl, his magic Anne. Then he got up to open the window, another cautious notch. A long, pale, mournful face looked in. A goat. The room opened on the goat pen. The stench was vile. Air, anyway. He picked up the letter. Everything is just about as you left it, except that the Peedsville horror seems to be getting worse. They're calling it the Sons of Adam cult now. Why can't they do something, even if it is a religion? The Red Cross has set up a refugee camp in Ashton, Georgia. Imagine, refugees in the USA. I heard two little girls were carried out all slashed up. Oh, Alan. Which reminds me, Barney came over with a wad of clippings he wants me to send you. I'm putting them in a separate envelope. I know what happens to very fat letters in foreign POs. He says, in case you don't get them, what do the following have in common? Sao Paulo, Phoenix, San Diego, Shanghai, New Delhi, Tripoli, Brisbane, Johannesburg, and Lubbock, Texas. He says, the hint is, remember where the intertropical convergence zone is now. Makes no sense to me. Maybe it will to your superior ecological brain. All I could see about the clippings was that they were fairly horrible accounts of murder, of massacres of women. The worst was the New Delhi one, about rafts of female corpses in the river. The funniest, mm, was the Texas Army officer who shot his wife, three daughters, and his aunt because God told him to clean the place up. Barney's such an old dear. He's coming over Sunday to help me take off the downspout and see what's blocking it. He's dancing on air right now. Since you left, his spruce budworm moth anti-pheromone program finally paid off. You know, he tested over 2,000 compounds. Well, <laughs> it seemed that good old 2097 really works. When I asked him what it does, he just giggles. You know how shy he is with women. 
Anyway, it seemed that a one-shot spray program will save the forest without harming a single other thing. Birds and people can eat it all day, he says. <sighs> well, sweetheart, that's all the news, except Amy goes back to Chicago to school Sunday. The place will be a tomb. I'll miss her frightfully in spite of her being at the stage where I'm her worst enemy. The sullen, sexy subteens, Angie says. Amy sends her love to Daddy. I send you my whole heart. All that words can't say. Your Anne. Alan put the letter safely in his note file and glanced over the rest of the thin packet of mail, refusing to let himself dream of home and Anne. Barney's fat envelope wasn't there. He threw himself on the rumpled bed, yanking off the light cord a minute before the town generator went off for the night. In the darkness, the list of places Barney had mentioned spread themselves around a misty globe that turned, troublingly, in his mind. Something. But then the memory of the hideously parasitized children he had worked with at the clinic that day took possession of his thoughts. He set himself to considering the data he must collect. Look for the vulnerable link in the behavioral chain. How often Barney, Dr. Barnhart Braithwaite, had pounded it into his skull. Where was it? Where? In the morning, he would start work on bigger canefly cages. At that moment, 5,000 miles north, Anne was writing. Oh, darling, darling, your first three letters are here. They all came together. I knew you were writing. Forget what I said about swarthy heiresses. <laughs> that was all a joke. My darling, I know, I know us. Those dreadful canefly larvae, those poor little kids. If you weren't my husband, I'd think you were a saint or something. I do anyway. I have your letters pinned up all over the house. Makes it a lot less lonely. No real news here, except things feel kind of quiet and spooky. Barney and I got the downspout out. It was full of a big rotted horde of squirrel nuts. They must have been dropping them down the top. I'll put a wire over it. Don't worry, I'll use a ladder this time. Barney's in an odd, grim mood. He's taking this Sons of Adam thing very seriously. It seems he's going to be on the investigation committee if that ever gets off the ground. The weird part is that nobody seems to be doing anything. As if it's just too big. Selena Peters has been printing some acid comments like... When one man kills his wife, you call it murder, but when enough do it, we call it a lifestyle. I think it's spreading. But nobody knows because the media have been asked to downplay it. Barney says it's being viewed as a form of contagious hysteria. He insisted I send you this ghastly interview printed on thin paper. It's not going to be published, of course. The quietness is worse, though. It's like... Something terrible was going on just out of sight. After reading Barney's thing, I called up Pauline in San Diego just to make sure she was alright. She sounded funny. As if she wasn't saying everything. My own sister. Just after she said things were great, she suddenly asked if she could come and stay here a while next month. I said, come right away. But she wants to sell her house first. I wish she'd hurry. The diesel car is okay now. It just needed its filter changed. I had to go out to Springfield to get one, but Eddie installed it for only $250. He's going to bankrupt his garage. In case you didn't guess, those places of Barney's are all about latitude 30 degrees north or south. The horse latitudes. When I said, not exactly, he said, 
Remember, the equatorial convergence zone shifts in winter. And to add in Libya, Osaka, and a place... I forget. Wait, Alice Springs, Australia. What has this to do with anything? I asked. He said, nothing, I hope. I leave it to you. Great brains like Barney can be weird. Oh, my dearest, here's all of me to all of you. Your letters make life possible. But don't feel you have to. I can tell how tired you must be. Just know we're together. Always. Everywhere. Your Anne. Oh, P.S. I had to open this to put Barney's thing in. It wasn't the secret police. Here it is. All love again. A. In the goat-infested room where Alan read this, Rain was drumming on the roof. He put the letter to his nose to catch the faint perfume once more, then folded it away. He then pulled out the yellow flimsy Barney had sent and began to read, frowning. Peedsville Cult, Sons of Adam Special. Statement by Driver Sergeant Willard Muse, Globe Fork, Arkansas. We hit the roadblock about 80 miles west of Jacksonville. Major, Major John, John Hines of Ashton, Ashton was expecting us. He gave us an escort of two riot vehicles headed by Captain T. Parr. Major Hines appeared shocked to see that the NIH medical team included two women doctors. He warned us in the strongest terms of danger, so Dr. Patsy Putnam, the psychologist, decided to stay behind at the Army Cordon. But Dr. Elaine Fay insisted on going with us, saying she was the epi-something. Epi-something? Epidemiologist? We drove behind one of the riot cars at 30 miles an hour for about an hour without seeing anything unusual. There were two big signs saying, Sons of Adam Liberated Zone. We passed some small pecan packing plants and a citrus processing plant. Uh, the men there looked at us, but they did not do anything unusual. I didn't see any children or women, of course. Well, just outside Peedsville, we stopped at a big barrier made of oil drums in front of a large citrus warehouse. This area is old, sort of a shanty town, a trailer park. The new part of town with the shopping center and developments is about a mile farther on. The warehouse worker with a shotgun came out and told us wait for the mayor. I, I don't think he saw Dr. Elaine Fay then. She was sitting sort of bit down at the back. Mayor Blount drove up in the police cruiser, and our chief, Dr. Premack, explained our mission from the Surgeon General. Dr. Premack's very careful not to make any remarks insulting to the mayor's religion. Mayor Blount agreed to let the party go on into Peedsville, take samples of the soul and the water and so on, and talk to the doctor who lives there. The mayor was about six foot two, weight maybe 230 or 240, tan, grayish hair. He was smiling and chuckling in a friendly manner. Then he looked inside the car and saw Dr. Elaine Fay, and he blew up. He started yelling, we had to all get the hell back. But Dr. Premack talked to him and cooled him down. And finally, the mayor said Dr. Fay should go into the warehouse office and stay there with the door closed. I had to stay there too and see she didn't come out, and one of the mayor's men would drive the party. So the medical people and the mayor and one of the riot vehicles went on into Peedsville and I took Dr. Fay back into the warehouse office and sat down. It was real hot and stuffy. Dr. Fay opened a window, but then I heard her trying to talk to an old man outside. I told her she couldn't do that and I closed the window. The old man went away. Then she wanted to talk to me, but I told her I did not feel like conversing. I felt it was real wrong be in there. So then she started looking through the office files and reading papers there. I told her that was a bad idea. She shouldn't do that. She said the government expected her to investigate. She showed me a booklet or a magazine they had there. It was called Man Listens to God. 
by Reverend Mickelhenny. They had a cotton full in the office. I started reading it. Dr. Faye said she wanted to wash her hands. So I took her back along a kind of enclosed hallway beside the conveyor to where the toilet was. There were no doors or windows. So I went back. After a while, she called out that there was a cop back there and she was going to lay down. I figured that was all right because of the no windows. Also, I was kind of glad to be rid of her company. When I got to reading the book, it was very intriguing. It was very deep thinking about how man is now on trial with God. And if we fulfill our duty, God will bless us with a real new life on earth. The signs and portents show it. It wasn't like, you know, Sunday school stuff. It was deep. After a while, I heard some music and saw the soldiers from the other ride car were across the street by the gas tank sitting on the shade of some trees and kidding with the workers from the plant. One of them was playing a guitar. Not electric, just playing. It looked so peaceful. Then Mayor Blount drove up alone in the cruiser and came in. When he saw I was reading the book, he smiled at me, sort of fatherly, but he looked tense. He asked me where Dr. Fay was, and I told him she was lying down in the back. He said that was okay. Then he kind of sighed, went back down the hall, closing the door behind him. I sat and I listened to the guitar man trying to hear what he was singing. I felt really hungry. My lunch was in Dr. Premack's car. After a while, the door opened and Mayor Blount came back in. He looked terrible. His clothes were messed up and he had bloody scrape marks on his face. He didn't say anything. He just looked at me, hard and fierce, like he might have been disoriented. I saw his zipper was open. There was blood on his clothing and also on his private parts. I didn't feel frightened. I felt something important had happened. I tried to get him to sit down, but he motioned me to follow him back down the hall to where Dr. Faye was. You must see, he said. He went into the toilet, and I went into a kind of a little room there where the cot was. The light was fairly good, reflected off a tin roof from where the walls stopped. I saw Dr. Fay lying on the cot, a peaceful appearance. She was lying straight. Her clothing was, to some extent, different, but her legs were together. I was glad to see that. Her blouse was pulled up, and I saw there was a cut or incision on her abdomen. The blood was coming out there, or it had been coming out there, like a mouth. It wasn't moving at this time. Also, her throat was cut open. I returned to the office. Mayor Blount was sitting down, looking very tired. He cleaned himself off. He said, I I did did it for you. Do you you understand? He seemed like my father. I can't say it better than that. I realized he was under a terrible strain. He had taken a lot on himself for me. He went on to explain how Dr. Fang was very dangerous. She was what they call a crypto-female, the most dangerous kind. He had exposed her and purified the situation. He was very straightforward. I didn't feel confused at all. I knew he had done what was right. We discussed the book, how man must purify himself and show God a clean world. He said, some people raise the question of how can man reproduce without women, but such people miss the point. The point is that as long as man depends on the old filthy animal way, God won't help him. When man gets rid of his animal part, which is woman, this is the signal God is awaiting. Then God will reveal the new, true, clean way. Maybe angels will come bringing new souls, or maybe we will live forever. But it is not our place to speculate, only to obey. He said, 
Some men here had seen an angel of the law. This was very deep. It seemed like it echoed inside. I felt it was an inspiration. Then the medical party drove up, and I told Dr. Premack that Dr. Fay had been taken care of and sent away, and I got in the car to drive them out of the liberated zone. However, four of the six soldiers from the roadblock refused to leave. Captain Paul tried to argue them out of it, but finally agreed they could stay to guard the old drum barrier. I would have liked to stay, too. The place was so peaceful. But they needed me to drive the car. If I'd have known there would be all this hassle, I never would have done them the favor. I am not crazy, and I have not done anything wrong. And my lawyer will get me out. That is all I have to say. In Quiapan, the hot afternoon rain had temporarily ceased. As Alan's fingers let go of Sergeant Willard Mew's wretched document, he caught sight of pencil-scrawled words in the margin. Barney's spider hand. He squinted. Man's religion and metaphysics are the voices of his glands. Sean Weiser, 1878. Who the devil Sean Weiser was, Alan didn't know. But he knew what Barney was conveying. His murderous crackpot religion of McHoosis was a symptom. Not a cause. Barney believed something was physically affecting the Peedsville men, generating psychosis, and a local religious demagogue had sprung up to explain it. Well, maybe. But cause or effect? Alan thought of only one thing, 800 miles from Peedsville to Ann Arbor. Ann should be safe. She had to be. He threw himself on the lumpy cot his mind going back exultantly to his work. At the cost of a million bites and cane cuts, he was pretty sure he'd found the weak link in the cane fly cycle. The male mass mating behavior, the comparative scarcity of ovulant females. It would be the screw fly solution all over again, with the sexes reversed. Concentrate the pheromone, release sterilized females. Luckily, the Breeding populations were comparatively isolated. In a couple of seasons, they ought to have it. Have to let them go on spraying poison meanwhile, of course. Damn pity, it was slaughtering everything and getting in the water, and the cane flies had evolved to immunity anyway. But in a couple of seasons, maybe three, they could drop the cane fly populations below reproductive viability. No more tormented human bodies with those stinking larvae in the nasal passages and brain. He drifted off for a nap, grinning. Up north, Anne was biting her lip in shame and pain. Sweetheart, I shouldn't admit it, but your wife is a bit jittery. Just female nerves or something, nothing to worry about. Everything is normal up here. It's so eerily normal. Nothing in the papers, nothing anywhere except what I hear through Barney and Lillian. But Pauline's phone won't answer out in San Diego. The fifth day, some strange man yelled at me and banged the phone down. Maybe she sold her house. But why wouldn't she call? Lillian's on some kind of save the woman committee. Like we were an endangered species. Haha. <laughs> you know Lillian. It seems the Red Cross has started setting up camps. But she says, after the first rush, only a trickle are coming out of what they call the affected areas. How many children either? Even little boys. And they have some air photos around Lubbock showing what look like mass graves. Oh, Alan. <sighs> so far it seems to be mostly spreading west, but something's happening in St. Louis. They're cut off. So many places seem to have just vanished from the news. I had a nightmare there isn't a woman left alive down there. And nobody's doing anything. 
They've talked about spraying with tranquilizers for a while and then that died out. What could it do? Somebody at the UN has proposed a convention on, you wouldn't believe this, femicide. It sounds like a deodorant spray. <sighs> Excuse me, honey, I seem to be a little hysterical. George Searles came back from Georgia talking about God's will. Searles, the lifelong atheist. Alan, something crazy is happening. But there aren't any facts. Nothing. The Surgeon General issued a report on the bodies of the Rahway Ripress team. I guess I didn't tell you about that. Anyway, they could find no pathology. Milton Baines wrote a letter saying in the present state of the art we can't distinguish the brain of a saint from a psychopathic killer. So how could they expect to find what they don't know how to look for? <sighs> well, enough of these jitters. It'll be all over by the time you get back. Just history. Everything's fine here. I fixed the car's muffler again. And Amy's coming home for the vacations. That'll get my mind off faraway problems. Oh, something amusing to end with. Angie told me what Barney's enzyme does to the spruce budworm. It seems it blocks the male from turning around after he connects with the female, so he mates with her head instead. Like clockwork with a cog missing. There are going to be some pretty puzzled female spruce worms. Now why couldn't Barney tell me that? He really is such a sweet, shy old dear. He's given me some stuff to put in, as usual. I didn't read it. Now don't worry, my darling. Everything's fine. I love you. I love you so. Always. Always. Your Anne. Two weeks later in Kuyapang, when Barney's enclosure slid out of the envelope, Alan didn't read them, either. He stuffed them into the pocket of his bush jacket with a shaking hand and started bundling his notes together on the rickety table with a scrawled note to Sister Dominique on top. The hell with the cane fly. The hell with everything except that tremor in his fearless hands firm handwriting. The hell with being 5,000 miles away from his woman, his child, while some deadly madness raged. He crammed his meager belongings into his duffel. If he hurried, he could catch the bus through to Bogota and maybe make the Miami flight. He made it to Miami, but the planes north were jammed. He failed a quick standby. Six hours to wait. Time to call Anne. When the call got through some difficulty, he was unprepared for the rush of joy and relief that burst along the wires. Thank God, I can't believe it. Oh, Alan, my darling, are you really... He found he was repeating too, all mixed up with the canefly data. They were both laughing hysterically when he finally hung up. Six hours. He settled in a frayed plastic chair opposite Arolinias, Argentina, his mind half back at the clinic, half on the throngs moving by him. Something was oddly different here, he perceived presently. Where was the decorative fauna he usually enjoyed in Miami? The parade of young girls in crotch-tight pastel jeans, the flounces, boots, wild hats and hairdos, and startling expanses of newly tanned skin, the brilliant fabrics barely confining the bob of breasts, buttocks. Not here, but wait. Looking closely, he glimpsed Two young faces hidden under unbecoming parkas, their bodies draped in bulky nondescript skirts. In fact, all down the long vista, you could see the same thing, hooded ponchos, heaped on clothes and baggy pants, dull colors, a new style? No, he thought not. It seemed to him their movements suggested furtiveness, timidity, and they moved in groups. He watched a lone girl struggle to catch up with the others ahead of her, apparently strangers. They accepted her wordlessly. They're frightened, he thought, afraid of attracting notice. Even that gray-haired matron in a pantsuit resolutely leading a flock of kids was glancing around nervously. And at the Argentine desk opposite, he saw another odd thing. Two lines had a big sign over them. Mujeres. 
women. They were crowded with the shapeless forms, and very quiet. The men seemed to be behaving normally, hurrying, lounging, riping, and joking in the lines as they kicked their luggage along. But Alan felt an undercurrent of tension, like an irritant in the air. Outside the line of storefronts behind him, a few isolated men seemed to be handing out tracts. An airport attendant spoke to the nearest man. He merely shrugged and moved a few doors down. To distract himself, Alan picked up a Miami Herald from the next seat. It was surprisingly thin. The international news occupied him for a while. He had seen none for weeks. It too had a strange, empty quality. Even the bad news seemed to have dried up. The African war, which had been going on, seemed to be over, or went unreported. The trade summit meeting was haggling over grain and steel prices. He found himself at the obituary pages, columns of close-set type, dominated by the photo of an unknown defunct ex-senator. Then his eye fell on two announcements at the bottom of the page. One was too flowery for quick comprehension, but the other stated in bold plain type, the Forset Funeral Home regretfully announces it will no longer accept female cadavers. Slowly, he folded the paper, staring at it numbly. On the back was an item-headed navigational hazard warning in the shipping news. Without really taking it in, he read, AP, Nassau, the excursion liner Carib Swallow reached port under tow today after striking an obstruction in the Gulf Stream off Cape Hatteras. The obstruction was identified as part of a commercial trawler scene floated by female corpses. This confirms reports from Florida and the Gulf of the use of such scenes, some of them over a mile in length. Similar reports coming from the Pacific coast and as far away as Japan indicate a growing hazard to coastwise shipping. Alan flung the thing into the trash receptacle and sat rubbing his forehead and eyes. Thank God he had followed his impulse to come home. He felt totally disoriented, as though he had landed by error on another planet. Four and a half hours more to wait. At length, he recalled the stuff from Barney he had thrust in his pocket and pulled it out and smoothed it. The top item seemed to be from the Ann Arbor News. Dr. Lillian Dash, together with several hundred other members of her organization, had been arrested for demonstrating without a permit in front of the White House. They had started a fire in a garbage can, which was considered particularly heinous. A number of women's groups had participated. The total struck Allen as more like thousands than hundreds. Extraordinary security precautions were being taken, despite the fact that the president was out of town at the time. The next item had to be Barney's acerbic humor. UP, Vatican City, 19 June. Pope John IV today intimated that he does not plan to comment officially on the so-called Pauline purification cults advocating the elimination of women as a means of justifying man to God. A spokesman emphasized that the church takes no position on these cults but repudiates any doctrine involving a challenge to or from God to reveal his further plans for man. Cardinal Fazzoli, spokesman for the European Pauline movement, reaffirmed his view that the scriptures define woman as merely a temporary companion and instrument of man. Women, he states, are nowhere defined as human, but merely as a transitional expedient or state. The time of transition to full humanity is at hand, he concluded. The next item appeared to be a thin paper Xerox from a recent issue of Science. Summary report of the Ad Hoc Emergency Committee on Femicide. The recent worldwide, though localized, outbreaks of femicide appear to represent a reoccurrence of similar outbreaks by groups or sects, which are not uncommon in world history and times of psychic stress. In this case, the root cause is undoubtedly the speed of social and technological change, augmented by population pressure, and the speed and scope are aggravated by instantaneous world communications, thus exposing more susceptible persons. It is not viewed as a medical or epidemiological problem, 
no physical pathology has been found. Rather, it is more akin to the various manias which swept Europe in the 17th century. For example, the dancing manias, and like them, should run its course and disappear. The chiliastic cults which have sprung up around the affected areas appear to be unrelated, having in common only the idea that a new means of human reproduction will be revealed as a result of the purifying elimination of women. We recommend that 1. Inflammatory and sensational reporting be suspended. 2. Refugee centers be set up and maintained for women escapees from the focal areas. 3. Containment of affected areas by military cordon be continued and enforced. And 4. After a cooling down period and the subsidence of the mania, qualified mental health teams and appropriate professional personnel go in to undertake rehabilitation. Summary of the Minority Report, the Ad Hoc Committee. The nine members signing this report agree that there is no evidence for epidemiological contagion of femicide in the strict sense. However, the geographical relation of the focal areas of outbreak strongly suggests that they cannot be dismissed as purely psychosocial phenomena. The initial outbreaks have occurred around the globe near the 30th parallel. The area of principal atmospheric downflow of upper winds coming from the intertropical convergence zone. An agent or condition in the upper equatorial atmosphere would thus be expected to reach ground level along the 30th parallel with certain seasonal variations. One principal variation is that the downflow moves north over the East Asian continent during the late winter month and those areas south of it, Arabia, Western India, parts of North Africa, have in fact been free of outbreaks until recently, when the downflow zone moved south. A similar downflow occurs in the southern hemisphere, and outbreaks have been reported along the 30th parallel, running through Pretoria and Alice Springs, Australia. Information from Argentina is currently unavailable. This geographical correlation cannot be dismissed and it is therefore urged that an intensified search for a physical cause be instituted. It is also urgently recommended that the rate of spread from known focal points be correlated with wind conditions. A watch for similar outbreaks along the secondary downwelling zones at 60 degrees north and south should be kept. Signed for the minority. Barnard Braithwaite. Alan grinned reminiscently at his old friend's name which seemed to restore normalcy and stability to the world. It looked as if Barney was onto something, too, despite the prevalence of horses' asses. He frowned, puzzling it out. Then his face slowly changed as he thought of how it would be going home to Anne. In a few short hours, his arms would be around her, the tall, secretly beautiful body that had come to obsess him. Theirs had been a late-blooming love, They'd married, he supposed now, out of friendship, even out of friend's pressure. Everyone said they were made for each other, he big and chunky and blonde, she willowy brunette, both shy, highly controlled, cerebral types. For the first few years the friendship had held, but sex hadn't been all that much. Conventional necessity, politely reassuring each other, privately he could say it now disappointing. But then, when Amy was a toddler, something had happened. A miraculous inner portal of sensuality had opened to them. A liberation into their own secret, unsuspected heaven, a fully physical bliss. Jesus, but it had been a wrench when the Columbia thing had come up. Only their absolute sureness of each other had made him take it. And now, to be about to have her again, trebly desirable, and the spice of separation, feeling, seeing, hearing, smelling, grasping, he shifted in his seat to conceal his body's excitement, half mesmerized by fantasy. And Amy would be there too, he grinned at the memory of that prepubescent little body plastered against him. She was going to be a handful, all right, 
Manhood understood Amy a lot better than her mother did. No cerebral phase for Amy, but Anne, his exquisite shy one, with whom he'd found the way into the almost endurable transports of the flesh. First the conventional greeting, he thought, the news, the unspoken, savor, mounting excitement behind their eyes, the light touches, then the seeking of their own room, the fallen clothes, the caresses, gentle at first, the flesh, the nakedness, the delicate teasing, the grasp, the first thrust. A terrible alarm bell went off in his head, exploded from his dream. He stared around, then finally down at his hands. What was he doing with his open clasp knife in his fist? Stunned, he felt for the last shreds of his fantasy and realized that the tactile images had not been of caresses, but of a frail neck strangling in his fist. The thrust had been the plunge of a blade seeking vitals in his arms, legs, phantasms of striking and trampling bones cracking. And Amy, oh God, oh God, no sex, bloodlust. That was what he had been dreaming. The sex was there, but it was driving some engine of death. Numbly, he put the knife away, thinking only over and over. It's got me. It's got me. Whatever it is, it's got me. I can't go home. After an unknown time, he got up and made his way to the United counter to turn in his ticket. The line was long. As he waited, his mind cleared a little. What could he do here in Miami? Wouldn't it be better to get back to Han Arbor and turn himself into Barney? Barney could help him if anyone could. Yes, that was best. But first he had to warn Anne. The connection took even longer this time. When Anne finally answered, he found himself blurting unintelligibly. It took a while to make her understand he wasn't talking about a plane delay. I tell you, I've caught it. Listen, Anne, for God's sake, if I should come to the house, don't let me come near you. I mean it. I mean it. I'm going to the lab, but I might lose control and try to get to you. Is Barney there? Yes, but darling... Listen, maybe he can fix me. Maybe this will wear off. But I'm not safe. Anne, Anne, I'd kill you. Can you understand? Get a... Get a weapon. I'll try not to come to the house, but if I do, don't let me near you. Or... Amy, it's a sickness. It's real. Treat me. Treat me like a fucking wild animal. And... Say you'll understand. Say you'll do it. They were both crying when he hung up. He went shaking back to sit and wait. After a time, his head seemed to clear a little more. Doctor, try to think. The first thing he thought of was to take the loathsome knife and throw it down a trash slot. As he did so, he realized there was one more piece of Barney's material in his pocket. He uncrumpled it. It seemed to be a clipping from nature. At the top was Barney's scrawl. Only guy making sense. UK infected now, Oslo, Copenhagen out of communication. Damn fool still won't listen. Stay put. Communication from Professor Ian McIntyre, Glasgow University. A potential difficulty for our species has always been implicit in the close linkage between the behavioral expression of aggression predation and sexual reproduction in the male. This close linkage involves A, many of the same neuromuscular pathways which are utilized both in predatory and sexual pursuit, grasping, mounting, etc., and B, similar states of adrenergic arousal which are activated in both. The same linkage is seen in the males of many other species, 
In some, the expression of aggression and copulation alternate or even coexist, an all too familiar example being the common house cat. Males of many species bite, claw, bruise, tread, or otherwise assault receptive females during the act of intercourse. Indeed, in some species the male attack is necessary for female ovulation to occur. In many if not all species, it is the aggressive behavior which appears first, and then changes to copulatory behavior when the appropriate signal is presented, e.g. the three-time stickleback and the European robin. Lacking the inhibiting signal, the male's fighting response continues, and the female is attacked or driven off. It seems therefore appropriate to speculate that the present crisis might be caused by some substance, perhaps at the viral or enzymatic level, which affects a failure of the switching or triggering function in the higher primates. Note, zoo gorillas and chimpanzees have recently been observed to attack or destroy their mates. Rhesus not. Such a dysfunction could be expressed by the fail of mating behavior to modify or supervene over the aggressive slash predatory response, i.e. sexual stimulation would produce attack only, the stimulation discharging itself through the destruction of the stimulating object. In this connection, it might be noted that exactly this condition is a commonplace of male functional pathology in those cases where murder occurs as a response to and apparent completion of sexual desire. It should be emphasized that the aggression slash copulation linkage discussed here is specific to the male, the female response, e.g. lordotic reflex, being of a different nature. Alan sat holding the crumpled sheet a long time. The dry, stilted Scottish phrases seemed to help clear his head, despite the sense of brooding tension all around him. Well. If pollution or whatever had produced some substance, it could be presumably countered, filtered, neutralized, very, very carefully. He let himself consider his life with Anne, his sexuality. Yes, much of their love play could be viewed as genitalized, sexually gentle savagery, play predation. He turned his mind quickly away. Some writer's phrase occurred to him, the panic element in all sex. Who? Fritz Lieber? The violation of social distance, maybe. Another threatening element. Whatever. It's our weak link, he thought. Our vulnerability. The dreadful feeling of rightness he had experienced when he found himself knife in hand, fantasizing violence, came back to him. As though it was the right, the only way. Was that what Barney's budworms felt when they made it with their females wrong end to? At long length, he became aware of body need and sought a toilet. The place was empty, except for what he took to be a heap of clothes blocking the door of the far stall. Then he saw the red-brown pool in which it lay and the bluish mounds of bare, thin buttocks. He backed out, not breathing, fled to the nearest crowd, knowing he was not the first to have done so. Of course, any sexual drive, boys, men, too. At the next washroom, he watched to see men enter and leave normally before he ventured in. Afterward, he returned to sit, waiting, repeating over, and over to himself. Go to the lab. Don't go home. Go straight to the lab. Three more hours. He sat numbly at 26 North, 81 West. Breathing. Breathing.
Dear Diary, big scene tonight. Daddy came home, only he acted so funny. He had the taxi wait and just held on to the doorway. He wouldn't touch me or let us come near him. I mean, funny weird, not funny ha-ha. He said, I have something to tell you. This is getting worse, not better. I'm going to sleep in the lab, but I want you to get out. Anne, Anne, I can't trust myself anymore. First thing in the morning, you both get on the plane for Martha's and stay there. So I thought he had to be joking. I mean, with the dance next week and Aunt Martha lives in Whitehorse where there's nothing, nothing, nothing. So I was yelling and mother was yelling and daddy was groaning, go now. And then he started crying, crying. So I realized, wow, this is serious. And I started to go over to him, but mother yanked me back and then I saw she had this big knife. And she shoved me in back of her and started crying too. Oh, Alan, oh, Alan, like she was insane. So I said, Daddy, I'll never leave you. It felt like the perfect thing to say. And it was thrilling. He looked at me real sad and deep like I was a grown-up while Mother was treating me like I was a mere infant as usual. But Mother ruined it, raving. Alan, the child is mad. Darling, go. So he ran out of the door yelling, Be gone, take the car, get out before I come back. Oh, I forgot to say I was wearing what but my gooby green with my curl ties still on. What you know of all the shitty luck. How could I have known such a beautiful scene was ahead? We never know life's cruel whimsy. And mother is dragging our suitcases, yelling, Pack your things, hurry! So she's going, I guess, but I am not repeat not going to spend the fall sitting in Aunt Martha's grain silo and lose the dance and all my summer credits. And Daddy was trying to communicate with us, right? I think their relationship is obsolete. So when she goes upstairs, I am splitting. I'm going to go over to the lab and see Daddy. OPS, Diane tore my yellow jeans. She promised me I could use her pink ones, ha ha. That'll be the day. I ripped that page out of Amy's diary when I heard the squad car coming. I never opened her diary before, but when I found she'd gone, I looked. Oh, darling little girl. She went to him. My little girl. My poor little fool child. Maybe if I'd taken time to explain, maybe... Excuse me, Barney. The stuff is wearing off. The shots they gave me. I didn't feel anything. I mean, I knew somebody's daughter went to see her father and he killed her. And cut his throat. But it didn't mean anything. Alan's note. They gave me that. Then they took it away. Why did they have to do that? His last handwriting, the last words he wrote before his pan picked up the before he... I remember it. Sudden and light as that, the bonds gave. And we learn of finalities besides the grave. The bonds of our humanity have broken. We are finished. I love. I'm all right, Barney. Really. Who wrote that? Robert Frost? The bonds gave. Oh, he said. Tell Barney. The terrible rightness. What does that mean? <sighs> you can't answer that, Barney, dear. I'm just writing this to stay sane. I'll put it in your hidey hole. Thank you. Thank you, Barney dear. 
Even as blurry as I was, I knew it was you. All the time you were cutting off my hair and rubbing dirt on my face, I knew it was right because it was you. Barney, I never thought of you as those horrible words you said. You were always dear Barney. By the time that stuff wore off, I had done everything you said, the gas, the groceries. Now I'm here, in your cabin, with those clothes you made me put on. I guess I do look like a boy. The gas man called me Mr. I still can't really realize. I have to stop myself from rushing back. But you saved my life, I know that. The first trip in, I got a paper. I saw where they bombed the Apostle Island's refuge. And it had about those three women stealing the Air Force plane and bombing Dallas, too. Of course, they shot them down over the gulf. Isn't it strange how we do nothing? Just get killed by ones and twos? Or more now, they've started on the refuges. Like hypnotized rabbits. We're a toothless race. Do you know, I never said we meaning women before. We was always me, and Alan, and Amy, of course. Being killed selectively encourages group identification. You see how sane-headed I am, but I still can't really realize. My first trip in was for salt and kerosene. I went to that little red deer store and got my stuff from the old man in the back. As you told me, you see, I remembered. He called me boy, but I think maybe he suspects. He knows I'm staying at your cabin. Anyway, some men and boys came in the front. They were all so normal, laughing and kidding. I just couldn't believe Barney. In fact, I started to go out past them when I heard one of them say, Heinz saw an angel. An angel. So I stopped and listened. I said it was big and sparkly. Coming to see if man is carrying out God's will, one of them said. And he said, Musini is now a liberated zone, and all up by Hudson Bay. I turned and got out the back fast. The old man had heard them too. He said to me quietly, I'll miss the kids. Hudson Bay, Barney. That means it's coming from the north too, doesn't it? it? Must be about 60 degrees. But I have to go back once again to get some fish hooks. I can't live on bread. Last week, I found a deer some poacher had killed. Just the head and legs. I made a stew. It was a doe. Her eyes. I wonder if mine look like that now. I went to get the fish hooks today. It was bad. Can't ever go back. There were some men in front again, but they were different, mean and tense. No boys. And there was a new sign out in front. Couldn't see it. Maybe it said Liberated Zone 2. The old man gave me the fish hooks quick and whispered to me, Boy, them woods will be full of hunters next week. I almost ran out. About a mile down the road, a blue pickup truck started to chase me. I guess he wasn't from around there. I ran the VW into a logging draw and he rolled on by. After a long while, I drove out and came on back, but I left the car about a mile from here and hiked in. It's surprising how hard it is to pile enough brush to hide a yellow VW. Barney, I can't stay here. I'm eating perch raw so nobody will see my smoke, but those hunters will be coming through. I'm going to move my sleeping bag out to the swamp by that big rock. I don't think many people go there. 
since my last lines, I moved out. It feels safer. Oh, Barney, how did this happen? Fast. That's how. Six months ago, I was Dr. Anne Alstein. Now I'm a widow and bereaved mother, dirty and hungry, squatting in a swamp in mortal fear. Funny, if I'm the last woman alive on Earth. Guess the last one around here, anyway. Maybe some are holed up in the Himalayas, or sneaking through the wreck of New York City. How can we last? We can't. And I can't survive the winter here, Barney. It gets to 40 degrees below. I have to have a fire. They'd see the smoke. Even if I worked my way south, the woods ended a couple hundred miles. I'd be potted like a duck. No. No use. Maybe somebody is trying something somewhere, but it won't reach here in time. What do I have to live for? No. Just make a good end. Say, up on that rock, where I can see the stars. After I go back and leave this for you, I'll wait to see the beautiful color in the trees one last time. Goodbye, dearest, dearest Barney. I know what I'll scratch for an epitaph. Here lies the second meanest primate on Earth. I guess nobody will ever read this, unless I get the nerve and energy to take it back to Barney's. Probably I won't. Leave it in a baggie, I have one here, maybe Barney will come and look. I'm up on the big rock now. The moon is going to rise soon. I'll do it then. Mosquitoes, be patient. You'll have all you want. The thing I have to write down is that I saw an angel too. This morning, it was big and sparkly, like the man said, like a Christmas tree without the tree. But I knew it was real, because the frogs stopped croaking and two blue jays gave alarm calls. That's important, it was really there. I watched it, sitting under my rock didn't move much. It sort of bent over and picked up something, leaves or twigs I couldn't see. And it did something with them around its middle, like putting them into an invisible sample pocket. Let me repeat, it was there. Barney, if you're reading this, there are things here. And I think they've done whatever it is to us, made us kill ourselves off. Why? Well, it's a nice place if it wasn't for the people. How do you get rid of people? Bombs, death rays, all very primitive. Leave a big mess, destroy everything. Craters, radioactivity, ruin the place. This way, there's no muss. No fuss. Just like what we did to the screwfly. Pinpoint the weak link. Wait a bit, while we do it for them. Only a few bones around. Make good fertilizer. Barney, dear. Goodbye. I saw it. It was there. But it wasn't an angel. I think... I saw a real estate agent.